Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Meet you, Sirk, of La Subida in Ormonds on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, Levy. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. So, you grew up in the Friuli? Yes. Uh, of course, a wine region in the northeast corner of Italy. And uh, exactly the town, it's called Cormons. It's right one mile from, from the Slovenian border. Yeah. What's it like to be in a border zone? I'm always there, so maybe I don't feel that, that big difference. But, and, and I'm also very young. So I was born when uh, the Slovenia, uh, which is our border country, became alone. And so I didn't feel so strong the difference between Italia and Yugoslavia, which was quite, quite hard. Uh, for me, it was very simple to go to Slovenia. The Iron Curtain had ended. Slovenia went into the EU and it was easy to get back and forth. Yes. Between the two um, at the beginning, in 19, 1992, when I was born, uh, the Slovenia take the um, autonomy. And then in 2006, at the end of 2006, Slovenia came to EU, and so there was no border. Now we can drive or walk from Italy to Slovenia every time and without any documents. Yeah. How would you summarize the difference between Slovenia and Italy? Yeah, there are two very different cultures. In Italy, we have, of course, the Mediterranean and the Latin culture, talking about the lifestyle, the food, or, or also the staying. Uh, in Slovenia, it's 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 the opposite. It's Slovenish culture. It's more close. The countryside it's it's beautiful because the hills are going a little bit higher in the mountains. Uh, I really like it. But uh, yeah, different styles of, of living. And how do the cuisines differ? Of course, the Italian cuisine it's much more uh, known, and probably the people are more comfortable with. Uh, I think Slovenian cuisine came a little bit closer to the Central European, to German or Austrian. It's a little bit more rustic, a little bit heavier, but uh, a lot of very characteristic and traditional flavors. So your dad started a restaurant in 1960. Uh, yes, exactly. My grandfather and my grandmother moved from a small village, which is 15 kilometers in Slovenia today, but was, was Yugoslavia. In just at the end of the World War II, and uh, they moved to Cormons and they decide to to recreate the same thing that they were doing before. So there was a, a countryside agriculture family, 
which developed also this kind of osteria. They were hosting the local people for some food uh, in their home. The menu was very simple. My, my father always reminded me they, they were doing every day the same things. There were uh, local shrimps from the sweet from the rivers. There were some small animals, and then there was like a wild uh, mixture of of, of uh, meat, and this was the menu for every day. When my grandfather passed away, uh, my father was just 16 years old, and uh, he took over the business. For the first uh, five years of his uh, work, he did uh, the same thing. Uh, so they were working for surviving. Uh, but then in, when he was 21, he got married with my, with my mother and they decided to create, actually they decided to develop a dream, which, which was La Subida, which unfortunately gets in the, in the best way. Yeah. What today we have, it's, it's my father's and my mother's dream. Both a restaurant and an inn where, that you can stay at. Yes, yes. So the the first thing was to close the osteria, the original osteria, and to develop the business in a more uh, fine dining way. So they opened the Trattoria al Cacciatore, which could be today a restaurant. A few years later, they decided to get bigger and they decided to build a small osteria 50 meters away, uh, which was a, one of the first in the region from the same family owned two things. And uh, a couple of years later, they decided to build the first uh, houses, the first accommodation for, for the guests, which were three apartments in our wood. And how would you describe the food of the restaurant? The food, it's a, it's a big mixture of, uh, of our cultures. Uh, it's of course, there is a big influence of the Italian, more Latin style. We are a Slovenian family. We still speak Slovenian at home. So there is a very strong, um, part of the menu which which goes to the Slovenian side. Uh, we have also to think that our area 100 years ago was under the Austrian Empire. And so we have still some influence on the sweet and sour sauces or on the sweets of the Austrian Empire. And at last, but, but not least, uh, we, we are in Friuli. And Friuli has still today a strong local language and, and culture, which is Friulano. Uh, it's one of the seven typical languages of Italy. And so we also have some influences from, from the Friulian region. So it's a big, big mixture of, of everything. And I imagine it changes seasonally. It is, yeah, it's very ch- seasonal. It's called Al Cacciatore, which in Italian means uh, the hunter. Uh, so we don't serve fish today. Uh, we serve only meat. We try to to be to have some some very traditional stuff like venison or veal and so on. And then all the rest, the fruits, the vegetables are very, very seasonal, yes. And your dad is actually a hunter. My dad is a hunter, yes. Like was my my grandfather and maybe me in the future. What's it like hunting with your dad? My dad doesn't have that much time. So, for hunting, I mean. And uh, so he is slowly moving to one specific hunting period, which is the end of October for the venison. And hunting the venison, it's a very private relationship between the hunter and the animal. So you, you are hunting alone. And it's, yeah, it's not very easy to stay with my father in that case. So I think it's, it's a quite nice way to, to enjoy the nature and, and the animals. Yeah. 
Because you have to be quiet or the... You have to be very quiet. Yeah, actually you're hunting in the love season of the animals. And so you're hunting the males, which are uh, very excited. And so they don't care a lot of, of the people who are around them. But the females are very, very careful about this. So you have to be very yeah, careful about what you're doing. How is the menu lined up? People get a single plate or multiple plates? Uh, it's it's changing, I think, how everywhere. Uh, usually, most of the people are still having the menu, which is nice for us. We can show our traditions or uh, the most seasonal things that we that we serve. And then, of course, there are many guests which has which are taking just one or two. Not not one. One it's not often, but let's see, two or three dishes. So people can choose. Yes, of course. Yeah, we have two tasting menus: one very traditional and one very seasonal, and then we have the à la carte menu. And what's the atmosphere like? It's a very countryside and very maybe a little bit rustic atmosphere. Uh, there is this very big fireplace, which is most of the year all on, uh, which makes a lot of atmosphere. Uh, we are quite a big restaurant because uh, we have least 100 seats and so unfortunately we don't do turnovers but but it's a it's a nice way to to dine people come and have the table for the night yes 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 uh, i think it's a very big difference between the italian culture uh, they don't want to have a arrival time they they will always be late or <laughs> it's it's different so maybe in the future we will change also our type of of dining yeah. and you have Basically, Ferrillian wines on the. On yes, the we. My father took this decision at the beginning of, of his career uh, to have only local wines, uh, which means Italian, but means also Slovenian. He took another important decision, which was to create an older wine list. So we have, let's say, a private cellar uh, where we age the wines that we think could be uh, nice to age. Uh, nice to taste in the future and we age it for at least 10 years till 15 20 years so we have a quite big uh, old selection of of old local wines and what is the scope of those local wines i mean if i wanted to understand the wines of the friuli better what would you tell me the best part of friuli it's the diversity we have uh, which could be nice or, or bad but i think it's it's nice it our most important, our best diamond. I think you, you, you have to choose which wines do you want to um, discover first. Of course, the most, not typical, but the most common wines are the young and fresh whites, uh, which are mostly known in, in, in the country, but also in the world. We have, uh, I think, still today, a strong relationship with white wines, which are aged in, in barrels. We have a couple of great wineries which uh, are presenting new wines, which are nice, fresh to, to, to drink, but they are great to age. And then we have uh, this big selection, this big group of, let's call it, orange wine makers, which, uh, which are quite important in our region. And why do you think that those differences in style exist in Philly? Is it a matter of market? Is it a matter of geography, terroir? Or is it a matter of uh, personal... You know, opinions? Uh, I think the history uh, makes the decision for us. So we were first under the Venison Empire, 
the Venetians. The Venetians, sorry. Uh, we um, so we were selling the wines there. We um, we had this very. The, I think for the wine and the fruits from our region, the best period was the Austrian Empire. We were the the south of the empire. We were the first who were getting cherries. You were the and warmest. The, yeah, yeah. The wine were always be the first, and so we were very influenced by their decisions. Uh, so Sauvignon, we had Riesling. Uh, we had uh, these lighter red wines like Scopettino or, or Merlot, which were very enjoyable for the Austrian markets. And I think also the modern era, talking about the 60s and the 70s of the Italian uh, wine world, bring us to increase the Pinot Grigio, the Chardonnay or the Cabernet uh, production, which I don't want to say it's 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 a the, the worst part, but um, it's it's not what I prefer from from our region. Yes, it's not the prestige part no, of no. the history. No, no. Actually, on 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 La Subida wine list, uh, we, you will find only one Pinot Grigio and only one Cabernet Sauvignon, just for really the person who want to have that that type of wine. It's absolutely the wine, the two wines that I really don't un- understand in our region. Because you work a lot with the wines at the restaurant. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm from from the beginning of my let's say career. I'm always more focused on on wine. Yes, and you've actually done some making of wine as well. Yeah, uh, I start very early in uh, 2003 with a small, very small wine production. Uh, How did that come about? It's a funny story. I was visiting uh, Grauner. Jasko uh, Grauner. Jasko Grauner. Yes. And he, in a very easy way, he, he just say, hey, Mitya, why, why don't you want to have, or why don't you want to own an amphora? Really? Yeah, a, really. A clay amphora? Yeah, clay and amphora. How old yeah. were you at that time? I was 11. 11 years old. Yeah. He said, hey, don't you want <laughs> an amphora? Yeah. And of course, how every young guy, which has a, such a great opportunity, I say, yes, I would love to. And one month later, Josko called me in the evening and say, hey, Mitya, I'm coming with the amphora and I hope the, the hole is ready for, <laughs> for hosting it. And so... So you had, to, you had to dig a hole. Yeah, yeah. You have to prepare a hole. You have to... Put it in the earth. Put it in the earth. Uh, prepare some different layers of, uh, of soil and sand just to make it uh, sure. Uh, and then you... you I hope the dam it's uh, entire. Yeah, so you fill it with water and and you wait if if say full or or not. So fortunately, was was good. And three weeks later, again, Josko called me in the in the afternoon, telling me I'm coming this evening with the ribola. So be ready. So the first wine uh, came out very easily. So he gave you ribola yes, grapes. Yes, yes, yes. The first year was ribola from uh, his historical property uh, of whom, and then in the next years I was buying some grapes from one of his uncles, which is also based in whom, but a little bit higher. And yeah, the grapes are grown exactly in the same way that uh, that Grauner's. Actually, Grauner Winery was uh, managing also that plot, so I was very fortunate. So you actually made Robola in an amphora for several years? Yes, from 2003 till 2009. And then, unfortunately, I stopped. 
but I'm sure I'm going to be back soon. Did you ever think about doing something else with the Amphora? Because if I were 11 years old and I had a big clay Amphora, I would think about using it as like a fort. <laughs> no. Clubhouse. Uh, <laughs> no, no. It's, um, it's very important for me to keep the Amphora as clean and as natural as possible and, and ready for, for tomorrow. Yeah. So how do you do that? I mean, how do you maintain an Amphora? I I just I just um, keep it clean. So spray it down with water. Water, yeah, and uh, it's usually empty, uh, but just don't uh, don't dry too much the the clay. I, I spread the water a couple of times per year. Oh, so you have to moisturize it so it doesn't get too brittle. Uh, yeah, that's what I what I think. Uh, I I don't I never ask to nobody how to how to maintain it because I think nobody. We'll leave an amphora empty for 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 a whole year. So I just took my decision. Yeah. And it's a like a Georgian clay. It's it, yes, yes. That's an original uh, amphora from Georgia. It's it's very small, actually, because it's uh, only six hundred liters uh, of uh, capacity. Usually, the amphoras like Crowner are using twenty five to thirty hectoliters big amphoras, but for the rest, it's it's exactly the same, the same clay and yeah, the same vinification. What have the wines been like? Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, just lucky, but everybody who tastes uh, 03 was very very happy, and that happened again in uh, 06. Uh, I think were the two best uh, vintages that I made, and um, I also think that in the ground they are different. They they are not similar to the grounder wines. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. How are they different? They're a little bit more simple. I see. And I think that's from the, the smaller quantity of grapes and for the less aging. I'm aging I, I was aging my wine only one year in all the barriques because it was the only size that I could use for, for such a small quantity. Yeah. The production it's was three hundred forty bottles. So that's very small. So you macerated and fermented in the clay, and then you aged it in wood. Yes. So it's more or less what what the, the Grauner Winery is uh, going on. So it's a quite late harvest, and then the stem, the stemmer, and uh, maceration of about six months. Uh, I was usually I was um, racking the grapes, so the must the wine in February. And then uh, move, pressing and moving to the small barrique in, in for one year of aging. Yeah. How did you find it to deal with ribola? I mean, as a grape variety, what's it like to handle? I, I think ribola, and that's also why we, we choose ribola for for the vinegar production. I think ribola has this very strong and tight skin, and it's probably the best way to to use it with this maceration. Actually. Also, the more simple and not orange ribollas, uh, most of them are used to be produced with at least one or two days of maceration. Sure. So, so for example, also other producers are, are doing small macerations because it's a very, very simple wine otherwise. So and even if it's a, not orange. Yeah, of it's, it's, yeah it's if, it's, if it's white ribolla, a very simple 2013 white ribolla, it will be probably one or two days on the skins just to give it a little bit of power. And of course, they make it on both sides of the border. In yes, and yes, Frilly. yes. Uh, so I can't say where is more typical uh, because Oslavia, 
uh, has this association called the uh, Ebola Gialla di Oslavia. And of course they try to, to maintain, so they, they, to keep the Ebola from Oslavia. And otherwise, more in the local saying, Ribola was typical in Vishnevik, which is that small village, 15 kilometers. Actually, it's the highest point in the Berda, which is the Slovenian part of Kolyo. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely the Ribola needs a higher elevation and needs a lot of sun to, to get the right ripeness. So, so San Floriano on one side and Vishnevik on the other are the best areas to, to plant Ribola. What are your favorite wines currently from Nefrili? What are the wines that you find yourself selling quite a bit at the restaurant? If I have to choose, I will divide again the wine, the wine region in, in three blocks. Uh, I, I will talk just about white wines because it's, I think, the best way to talk about my region. I will choose probably Coglio Bianco from Medikeber. I think it's, uh, it's always a great expression of, of our area uh, in, uh, in young age or older. It will be nice. And probably, I always try to to promote somebody who is not very famous. In this case, it's Gabriele Vosca. It's a small producer in Cormons too. And I think always in the last years are making great wines um, on Tokai and on Malvasia. If I have to choose something in a more French style, I, I think Borgo del Tiglio is our best producer. And... Um, Maybe for the American market, Miani, it's very famous. Uh, I think he's changing a little bit his style and it's coming more on, on my taste, a little bit more clean and, and precise. And on the, on the mass rate versions, I really like the, the little bit stronger taste of the Damien Podversic wines. And um, I, I really, really love the, the wines from uh, Paolo Volopivets. So the Vitovska, also in Amphora, also in Georgian Amphora, which I think it's wonderful. You do age the wines in a separate cellar, and how do you find that those wines mature? Sometimes people in the States say, oh, orange wines, I don't think they get better with age. What have been your encounters with aged so wines? So talking about classic white wines, I think they, they age pretty well. Yeah, there was definitely not as in the in the past. We had some very old vintages, like from Grauner, from Radicon, made in stainless steel or in, in uh, barrique, which were fantastic. Uh, and, and talking about Borco del Tiglio or current vintages, I think they could age easily 10 years. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult to get again that 25, 30 years uh, of life because of the global warming, because of probably different techniques, probably less sulfur, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Um, talking about orange wines, I think they get better with the evolution. For example, talking about Crowner, I think uh, we, we are not tasting yet the, the real wines. I, I think they will need at least another 10, 15 years to, to get the, the richness and, and the specific taste that they, they will definitely be the, the wines that he, he wants. And how do you find it is to pair such a diversity of wines with food, especially at a restaurant that doesn't have fish, but then has mostly white wines or orange wines? The pairing, it's, it's, it's nice because having so many different styles, you could find uh, many local wines which go great with certain types of food. So for sure, the fresh and current vintages 
of white are, are great for the for the summer and the springtime with all the flowers, the vegetables and, and, and the herbs. Uh, I really enjoy the orange wines with more wintertime food like polenta or different cheeses. It's a little bit, of course, more heavy type of cuisine, but goes great with, with uh, orange wines. Uh, I think orange wines could be also a good choice for some of the main courses, but for the classic dishes of, of my place, so it would be venison or, or deer and so on, uh, I will definitely go for also some of the red wines which which are making. Uh, yeah, usually we don't talk about the red wines of Friuli, but uh, I think there are uh, many cases where where the red wines are really tasty and really good. So in the young or in the aged versions, so it's also something to to try and to learn. Yeah. So there are a number of local grape varieties that are red in the Friuli: Scampatino, yeah. Pignolo, Rafasco. Yeah. What are those like? Schiappettino is definitely the most gentle and most uh, elegant version of red of local red wine that we grow and and we make. It's um, I always uh, associate the pepper and the most a little bit more greener uh, uh, flavors uh, to the Schiappettino. Uh, it's also a little bit more uh, flowery. The Refosco it's definitely the little bit harder. To, to taste because it's uh, high in tannins and uh, it's also a little bit more acid. So um, I will go for a Fosco in a little bit warmer vintages or with some age, that could be nice. Pignolo, Pignolo uh, it's, it's very difficult to find because uh, the producers are not very comfortable with the grape. It has a lot of problems during the flowering and the maturation. And so, um, and needs a lot of sun. So that's why Pignolo, it's from, uh, mainly it's it's based in the hill of Butrio, very, very rich in sun. And um, you, it's, def it's difficult to taste young Pignolo because uh, it's very, very strong and, and rich in, in tannins. But I think uh, with the aging could be a, a nice red wine. And there are a number of international grape varieties, Sauvignon, yeah. Riesling, as you said, Merlot. How have those fared and what have you seen when you've encountered those wines? I think uh, there are certain parts of the region which are uh, really great for, for these international varieties. I think the area where, where also Schiappettinets grow, called Prepotto and Dolegna, they are a um, little bit cooler than the rest of the wine region. And uh, they have these very nice sunny afternoons, but also cold nights and uh, the Sauvignon could could ripen in a great great way. That's where Venica it's it's located. I think talking about the red grapes, Merlot, it's definitely the the best uh, red wine that that could be made in, in in the region. And also talking about labels, all the best red labels are based on Merlot or hundred percent Merlot. So um, why do you think that is? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Probably the soil. It's enough rich to to get the fruitness and and the body to to the to the wine. But I think also again this. Usually we don't have that that much sun that could be in Tuscany. So we keep a little bit more elegance on, on the wine. It's not so extremely rich and 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 fruity. It's a little bit more elegant, and I think that's a great choice 
if you're looking for something elegant but with good age it's, it's yeah definitely my favorite red wine from from Friuli yeah and how long in terms of aging are we talking about i mean what is a fully mature merlot from the Friuli what kind of age range uh, of course we we have to um, talk about certain producers and not uh, the whole uh, range for the best uh, merlot production i think they can they could easily go to 20 25 years and uh, for the more medium wines i will i will stay on 10 10 15 they're perfectly mature yeah and what about serving i mean that's such a diversity of wines grape types styles how do you go about serving these wines do you tend to decant things do you serve things cold what do you do uh, i i mostly not done decant because i I prefer to enjoy the evolution of the wine in the glass during the dinner. And uh, usually the orange, the older whites and the older reds uh, are all uh, stocked in the cellar, which has temperature about 15 uh, Celsius degrees. So I, I don't like all these wines too cold. Yeah. I'm always ready to, to change if the, if the guests want to. So more serving at red wine temperature, even if it's maybe an orange wine. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I really, I mean, not, not warm, but I really hate the orange wines, which are served cold because they are, they don't taste like they, they should be. And I really hate serving orange wines in uh, white wine glasses. That's very important. Orange wine needs uh, like a Chardonnay glass, like something wild, big because it needs a little bit of air, needs to, to, be, to show up uh, his aromacity. So pretty much for your whole life, there have been orange wines in a way. Yes, yes, more or less. So I, I attended also the enology school, which uh, brings me a little bit away from, from the orange wine world, because yeah, it's a little bit uh, esoteric for, for the schools talking about this. Uh, so what was that like? I mean, when you would tell people about these wines? <sighs> they don't care. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's really good. Uh, they start to, to think about this, this uh, possibility of winemaking. Also, they start to, to show the biodynamic uh, processes in the, in the countryside. But we are really at the beginning. They, I hope that, that this, this could change quickly, but at the moment so my my experience at the wine school was uh, was nice because i i understand also all, all the chemistry and all this stuff but was definitely a bad experience talking about wine uh, world in general yeah. and you decided not to continue on with school no no i uh, also i don't decide to do the italian sommelier school because uh, on the same way i think they are quite retro old style and um, I decide to, to took one or two trips per year in wine uh, regions or in restaurant world where I can learn as much as I can and when I can uh, discover the, the new mood or the new or the, the, old, the old world yeah. and what have those experiences been like where have they taken you mostly uh, I'm traveling mostly talking about restaurants to US and to Italy and talking about wine, I have been a couple of times in France, and uh, and I'm trying to 
to get more involved on the German and Austrian side. So um, I start, the first wine experience was at Isola Olena in Tuscany, which was a great way to learn about Sangiovese and the aging of, of the Tuscan wines. The second experience was at Dumaine du Jacques in Burgundy, which was an amazing experience, life experience and, and, and uh, wine experience. I mean, those seem pretty different. Very different, yeah. And the third one was, again, a red wine producer, Giacomo Conterno in, in Barolo. And again, a completely different, so three different experiences, three absolutely opposite ways on looking on, on red vinification, which at the beginning, uh, so after the wine school, I was thinking about a very simple and, and classic way to do it, but absolutely not. It's very different ways to to get to the to three great wines. Yeah. So how would you sum up what the production is like at those three different places? I mean, what is the takeaway? In the cellar, there are, of course, many different ways to, 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 to create a wine, but I really enjoy the different philosophies and different ways to, to start the vinification and to, to work in the cellar. This was very, very curious for me. What do you mean by that? For example, Isolena was, was probably organized in a more bigger way. Uh, way of, of looking at the winery so um, everything was very it's a, again a personal wine but it's more schematic yeah, you have to do this this and this and um, it should the result should be this and you are working for that result at Dujac was was much more uh, personal I think uh, I will always remember about the morning tastings of all the casks the, the team was working together to decide what to do in, in that day and to try to be focused on the result. And at Conterno, Conterno was, was very strange at the, at the beginning. So I, I was the first uh, stagiaire at Conterno. They, they don't do it. So it was just a friend uh, favor. And uh, at the beginning, the idea was you can come for harvest, you can stay in the vineyard, but I don't want to have nobody in the cellar. And then I was lucky enough to to be involved also in the cellar, and so was so the, the work on the grapes it's it's unbelievable. Uh, we spent in 2014, which could be a very bad vintage, or or uh, how Roberto thinks could be a very classic, great aging uh, Barolo vintage. Uh, was in the vineyard was a ha very hard work. We were working a lot. We were uh, cleaning a lot. And the grapes were really fully ripened. We, when most of the people were picking Nebbiolo, we started the picking of the Barbera. And when most of the people were pressing Nebbiolo, we start with the picking of Nebbiolo. So we were mostly two weeks later um, working late uh, on, on the usual uh, work of the of the country. And uh, in the cellar, there was a very very high careful work careful on 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 the cleaning and uh, on the precision it's it's more a way of looking to the vinification for a white wine but uh, involved on on a red grape that's so, interesting yeah. i mean especially coming from a really perspective exactly. where so much is white yeah we i mean I, I was thinking on that much careful about the oxygen and the cleaning and everything 
more based on a wine wine uh, region or a wine wine uh, method and um, working on on nebbiolo and also then tasting the the nebbiolos from and the barberas from conterno i will never think about so many small details in the vinification part yeah. was was a great great experience and what about the restaurant experiences you had i think i was very lucky for two reasons uh the first reason was my father he pushed me a lot uh, to in, in the young age to to get these experiences i was more i was very shy and i i preferred to stay at home but he was very decided so he he was pushing me and the other big uh, big help big uh, big part of of my restaurant experience came from from us from bobby stucky which was definitely a great mentor for me and um, actually my first working experience was at frasca in uh, 2011 i spent two weeks at frasca and then i was supposed to go to san francisco and i went to san francisco working with shelly at a16 and at spqr and uh, i also spent a couple of nights at rn74 uh, bobby gave me the opportunity to do that and then um, another great uh, person another great friend robert Bohr give me the opportunity to work at uh, 11 Madison Park. So I also make a stage at 11 Madison Park for 10, 10 days, which was a great experience. What did you learn from all those different places? I mean, Whoa. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty different places. Very different places. I Very, very different places. Uh, I, I think everybody knows Frasca for this great uh, hospitality part. And uh, I think really the feeling to be in a family, to be hosts, uh, as to be in a family and as being at home uh, makes Frasca so unique. Um, 11 Medipson Park was for me a great opportunity. Probably I was really too young to and to understand the whole thing, but um, I, I get in touch with a first uh, great fine dining restaurant, which was, which was good. The year after I went to Don Alfonso in Campania, for two months, was a strong experience. Very, very hard work. Uh, very um, Don Alfonso. Usually, in, in the previous experiences, I was always uh, Mitya from La Subida, and at Don Alfonso, I was only Mitya. So, of course, they they, they knew where uh, who, who I am, but was uh, there was no no separate lines. Yeah. You have to do this, this, and this, like everybody. And if you don't do it, of course, you, that's the door. You can walk out. There is no problem. And yeah, it was, was very strong for me. Uh, they grow their own vegetables and stuff. Yeah. So you're probably involved in that. Yes. I was speaking, actually, it's, it's, it's probably a great, great way to learn about uh, how Costiera Malfitana could be unique, picking uh, tomatoes in front of Capri uh, in a beautiful sunny morning. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful there. Must have seemed like a very different kind of Italy from Friuli. Yeah, very different. Uh, very different. Also talking about uh, tourists and work and uh, money. And yeah, it's great. Very different experience. And then after that, I fortunately started a little bit more uh, to work at my place. I finished the school and I, I, 
am now completely involved in the in the restaurant at home. And what about the reception for the wines? Do people get it right away, or does it take people a while to understand the kind of diversity and specificity of Friuli wines when you introduce them? I think most of the wines are uh, easily connected, and the people understand the usual wines very easily. The, the beauty of these wines, I think, it's the the combination between the freshness because they are all young. Most most of them they are young, but also the complexity. It's a little bit uh, richer in alcohol, a little bit more powerful uh, white wines from from could be Friulano or Malvasia or, or others. Talking about orange wines, it's a little bit more difficult. Some palettes are uh, closer to this style, so they are uh, maybe they didn't they did never try an orange wine, but they are happy to do it, and they are at the end they enjoy the glass or the bottle. Other palettes, no, there is not no way to to get into their mind. So for orange wines, it's it's a little bit more difficult to to, to work with. And where do you see the? future of Friulian wine going. It does seem like a border region, so you see immigrants from different regions there. You see people working with vineyards both in Italy and in Slovenia under one label. I, I think talking about two regions, Colio and Berda, I'm sure that in the next future there will be only one region. Uh, I'm, I'm sure because it's it was always the same region and was just divided by a line uh, after the Second World War. So it's exactly the same region. It needs to be uh, together. And uh, talking about the wine, it's, again, it's a tough choice. I think we will still be famous for the classic white wines. I hope that we will, uh, at the end, be able to create a small elite group where the winemakers or the, the vigneron will be able to create uh, really a, a special wine, which could be orange, which could be white, uh, but but really a wine that uh, could be collected or a wine that uh, could be presented as all the other best wines that we have in the world. So I hope that, that uh, this decision or this group could be founded soon. And I hope to be involved also with the with this group. Yeah. And what about the market for Friuli wines in the future in other regions? Is this going to largely still stay at, within Italy's secret, or are other regions of the world and the states and maybe Asia going to start buying more of these wines? I, I think uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Asian market because I think uh, most of the Asian market needs more. Uh, Top labels, uh, the icons of the wine world. I'm always a huge fan of the American guests and the American market because I think America it's already uh, mature to to taste the beauty of a wine and not just looking to, to the label of the bottle. So I've, I I hope that the American market could be the next uh, gold era for for our region. There's not a whole lot of regions within Italy where people somewhat regularly talk about whole vintages being lost. But when I do talk to Friuli winemakers, they often refer to at least one vintage in their history where they've completely lost the vintage due to weather or erosion. 
does that change the fiscal viability of being a winery if you might potentially lose an entire harvest? I'm, I think it's something that you need to keep in your mind. Nectar will always give you a lot, but uh, maybe at a certain point will also take you something. And we are definitely a region where uh, we have a lot of rain. And with these um, climate changes in the last vintages, we had also some hail, which was not so common in the in the past for example the the hill just behind the behind my place so zegla where keber and all the others are uh, was mostly destroyed by hail so they were not not picking there uh, fortunately all these wineries have also some vineyards around so the crop was something but but was definitely less than half uh, 2014 was extremely extremely uh, wet. We we had so much rain that, I, if I'm not wrong, in six months we had like two two weeks with no rain, which was terrible. So most of the producer are not making red wine, and uh, and most of the white wines are very atypical. Uh, there will be we. I can say we all do a chapitalization in 2014 because there were no ripeness absolutely no sun no ripeness we we will all have wines which are not more than 12 and a half in in alcohol which for Friuli it's unusual <laughs> you usually stay more on 13 and a half 14 and a half so there will be very different wines very very simple in, in structure and more aromatic, of course. But uh, I don't think it's it's a bad thing because uh, it's it's the natural. I mean, uh, everybody will remain will remember the 2014 for this very different vintage. What are some of your favorite vintages for wines from the Friuli in the different styles? What are some that you really the, stand out? So 13, talking about uh, close uh, close vintages. 13, it's it's a Great, great, great vintage. It's a very classic vintage, a little bit longer ripeness. So the picking starts at the half of September, uh, which for the last uh, 10 years was was quite uh, late. And You're uh, saying usually it rains by then and you can't pick that late, <laughs> right? Yeah, usually yes. And also the last vintages, like from 2003, there was uh, a lot of hot summers. And so... Everybody was picking quite early. And 2013 brings us back to the most classic vintages of Friuli and I think will be a great uh, wine to age. If we are looking for something which is already a little bit uh, older, 2007 are showing very well, 2004 are showing great, and then 97, 99 and 2001 were definitely the vintages of that area for white and red wines. And what about 90 sometimes people? 90 in particular, it's uh, talking about reds, was for sure the, the best vintage that we had in the probably in the last 40 years. Uh, 90, 85, a little bit similar, but 90 was, was great. If you're able to find some whites are, are great in 91, 1991, uh, reds are great in 88, 80, 90, and 
are very difficult to find. Yeah. A lot of times when I speak with growers from Nefruli, it seems like within two generations, they went from mixed agriculture of having animals and multiple different crops to mostly vines. Mm -hmm. Is that something you see as well? Yes. Um, unfortunately, in the Collio area or in the Friuli, in the Italian part, we we have monoculture, so they are all growing only vine, which is is not a great way to to present a, a country region. For example, the Berda, which is the Slovenian part of Collio, they still have a lot of fruits. They still have a lot of cherries. They still have uh, peaches and apricots. So they stay in, in a more country way of living. They they do the vines growing but they also have the cherries for the, the spring if we are talking for the future i think that the unfortunately the wine world will bring us to make some decisions actually the small um, growers will have to make some decisions um, because it's uh, the, the wine world is getting too busy and too competitive and so you, at a certain point, you will have to decide if stay on your size and maybe do something else, hosting, making fruits or whatever, or getting bigger and uh, start com be competitive with also the other, the other parts because our region is so small and uh, there is no, no chance to like the probably the biggest uh, wineries which like Feluga or uh, or Yerman uh, they 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 bottled maybe 300,000 bottles like uh, 250,000 cases it's it's so small i think the whole region the whole region of Collio bottled less than uh, Tenuta Settesoli which is the biggest uh, wine producer in Sicily it's it's unbelievable but we are so small we have uh, so uh, still many families who, who are working totally in the wine world. And I think they will, at a certain point, they, most of them, they already uh, have done this evolution. Most of them, they are hosting. and uh, They have guests to the house. Yeah. Agriturismo. Agriturismo, yes. Uh, great agriturismo because uh, they have the economical um, possibility to make few small but, but great rooms. And they are very, you know, Friuli, I think it's it's a little bit unique in the wine regions because it's very, it's very open. It's very, it's easy to visit. It's very easy to visit wineries, really very, very easy. For most of them, you don't need any appointment. You just walk. If they're at home, they're happy to taste with you. They're happy to speak with you. It's, it's a beautiful way to, to enjoy a wine region. And um, it's all very close. So you can visit many wineries in small range of time. It's it's nice. And your family also makes vinegar. Yeah, that's um, my father. One of my father's uh, big passions. We were making vinegar since the eighties in a very classic, simple family way. So we were keeping the half bottles from the restaurant. We were doing a big mix, and we were aging the wine or the vinegar for one or two years with older vinegar in uh, barrique barrels and was a very simple we, we call it in the vinegar world we call it orleans method 
and uh, was a simple red color vinegar, which was never sold. We only use it at uh, the restaurant or we were giving as a present to our guests. And in 2005, the Italian law for the vinegar changed and um, a friend of us told us that could be the right moment to create a business if we are looking for. And so in 2006, we decided to open the Aceto Cirque, so the vinegar production. It was a very strong uh, start because uh, we were not happy with that kind of vinegar and we were looking for something more unique. And we fortunately find a great way and a different way to make vinegar. Called, uh, we, we call our vinegar Aceto Duva. So it's, it's, it's classified as a wine vinegar, but um, it's made directly from the grapes. So the idea was how can we make a better vinegar? We tried to make the better vinegar with all different kinds of wine, but at the end was always a vinegar. When we make one step behind us, we start with the grapes. We do, actually, we are still doing a one year uh, maceration with the grapes and then a four year of aging of the straight vinegar. We, we create a beautiful mix of, of course, high acidity, but uh, very strong and rich body. So it's a very, I think it's a re really very femal and gentle wine vinegar, which is not very easy to, to, to have. Uh, I will definitely try to create, that's our, our goal today. We are a very small business. We, we try with some other friends to create a new culture on vinegar, which is uh, not very easy, but we are, we are working hard. Vinegar, it's in the local saying, it's a bad product. You usually use vinegar for cleaning your kitchen. Um, we try to create this uh, this idea of a quality product. Uh, we cannot make quality product starting with a bad wine, so we need a great wine or a great fruit. We need to make uh, in the people's mind the idea of using less product because it's expensive, because you don't need it. So using less product, but uh, much more often. So everything that on your taste could be very fat or also sweet, ask for something acid to be more pleasant. So if you're looking on history, it could be the classic Zabayone, uh, which sometimes uh, needs some, uh, some lemon juice, which could be easily made with vinegar. It could be an egg, if you're uh, happy to eat eggs in the morning. With one or two sprays of, of vinegar, you will taste the same exactly egg, but you will completely lose the very fatty fattiness in your mouth, which is a great way. Also, food which is very heavy, which could be a heavy soup or, or a heavy meat, uh, very fatty meat, we think that needs little bit more vinegar just to increase the, the the acidity of the food and make it more pleasant for your stomach so the idea is to we, we are not saying nothing which is completely new the old generation were doing this every day but we just try to uh, recreate this nobility of, of the product it's a big uh, long project but we are happy to to be here and, and, and promote the vinegar what about distillates and the Ferrelli? I think 
most of the wine regions are are uh, related with uh, grappa or with with brandies. Probably Friuli has still a very like like Trentino. They, we have a strong relationship. People enjoy a lot to taste grappa at the end of their meal. We have uh, a lot of grappa producers, which could be smaller, very small, very traditional, or a little bit bigger and more famous in the world. And in Friuli, we have two very big schools. One is the classic grappa, which is represented mostly for from the family Domenis in Cividale. They make just white grapes and red grapes grappa, a little bit higher in alcohol, a little bit stronger and more uh, masculine. And then we have the opposite way, the Nonino family, which makes a lot for, for the grappa world, for the whole world of grappa. Talking more about uh, single varieties, very specific selections, very, very clean and uh, gentle uh, tastes of grappa. And I, I'm sure that uh, that their work was was great because most of the people really enjoyed to taste this very, very light, not light, but lighter grappas at, at the end of the meal. Yeah. So it is typical and it's really to have grappa at the end yeah, of the meal. definitely. Yeah. I, I don't want to say, but sure, more the ha- more of uh, half the guests are, are drinking grappa at the end of the meal. So usually not with food, though? Not that much. Uh, yeah, German, German people, yes. German and also Slovenian people are drinking grappa also at the beginning of their meal. With like hams and stuff? With, yeah, with, with the antipasti or with just the aperitivo. So it could be a slice of prosciutto or it could be... Uh, we, we are often... So we, we are famous for doing this little frico, which is a crispy cheese stick, which is uh, our benvenue to La Subida. And it's, uh, sometimes they, they drink grappa with, the, with this frico. And what about prosciutto in this region? I mean, it's yeah, local. prosciutto, it's another local product. In the region, we have a very big pork uh, tradition. And so all the salumis are very, very widely represented. And I think most of the winemakers are still having their peaks uh, at the property and are, every year they're making their own salami and, and everything else. So it's very correlated word. When I visited the Friuli, it became apparent how much the world wars had had an effect on the region. There were monuments to a number of people who had died. There were bombshells that had been reused into pieces of furniture. How much is it still apparent to you today that World War One and Two had huge impact in the region? I didn't. I didn't live in in the region of the world because uh, when I was a child was everything much easier but for example my father's generation were um, very related with their cousins which are living on the other side of the border they were escaping from one country to the other during the night just for hanging out or for having parties everything was very in a very strong relationship. And uh, my, my generation, it's completely on the opposite way. We have cousins in Slovenia that we probably see once a year. We don't go to Slovenia for having parties. We, we stay in our country, which I think it's a very bad thing. 
in Cormons, we have one quarter of the, the habitants are Slovenian cultures. And uh, in, in the past, in the last 20 years, most of these families sent their child to Italian school because they were not proud of Slovenian language. So I think the, the word, uh, word first and second make, of course, a lot of uh, people die and so on, but make uh, this very huge impact to the next generation. There was this very difficult approach to Slovenian families, which are staying in Italy, or Italian families which are staying in Croatia. So the impact was very strong on the first and the second generation after the, the World War. I hope that my my son or my daughter will enjoy to to stay on the same place where, where I'm living. So living in, in the same region as my cousins. And uh, yeah, I hope in <clears throat> the next, I, I think it's, it's already changing because there are many families who, Italian families who are now sending uh, their sons, their uh, daughters to Slovenian school, uh, which is nice. It's a way to recreate uh, only one big region. Uh, I think we'll, we'll change soon. Mitya Sirk of La Subida, he's part of a new generation in the Friuli. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you, Evie. Thank you very much. Mitya Sirk of La Subida in the Friuli. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tanoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.